All right, you guys good? Yeah, okay. All right, um, so let's go ahead and pray uh, before we jump into Deuteronomy 18 this morning. God, um, thanks for, for your word. Thanks for uh, how you mold us and shape us through it. Um, pray over our time this morning as, as we take a look at Deuteronomy 18, at, at what you had for Israel um, and what that means for us uh, today as 21st century Americans, um, that we would be um, shaped and challenged through it. Um, pray over Blake this morning, as he's actually probably already preached over at Grace, that uh, the same would be true of, of what they were walking through over there. Um, so ultimately, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for how he brings uh, Deuteronomy full circle for us to understand um, what you have for us today. In his name we pray, amen. All right, um, so as we start to look at Deuteronomy 18... Um, I wanted to share a little bit of a story with you guys, um, but I'll ask Lisa specifically because you're right there. Uh, do you remember when you were learning Spanish? How rough was it? What was the hardest thing about learning the language? Yeah, I get that. So situations, context. Yeah. Context makes the language difficult. Right. Um, so I remember specifically when we moved to the Dominican Republic, we landed in the DR in November. Um, and then that Christmas, we went and did uh, like Christmas stuff with a family that was uh, in the capital, so about an hour from us. Um, big, big family. So you had uh, the, the parents who ultimately kind of became like our Dominican parents, right? And then their four kids, um, and then the spouses of their four kids, and then like 19 grandchildren. All together, three days, Christmas time, and Abby and I, and at that point, Zay and E, we all came together and did Christmas with this family. And I remember we spent basically three days on the back patio of their house just talking. Um, and at that point, I spoke a little bit of Spanish, but not a lot of Spanish. And I remember sitting there like getting bits and pieces, and then they would start to tell stories about some random person I'd never met before in my life, and then I would be completely lost as to what was going on for the rest of the story. Um, and I remember that feeling of not understanding the context of the stories that were being told made me lose myself in the language. Um, and as, as I was looking at Deuteronomy 18, that idea of context, I think, is vitally important for us to understand how we read Scripture. Right? So as 21st century Americans, we're trying to understand a book that was written over the course of 2,000 years, over 2,000 years ago, in 66 different contexts, because that's the amount of books that are there, in a cultural dynamic that we really know nothing about and have never experienced. And then we're trying to take this book and we're going to try to make it applicable to us as we try to follow Jesus today. Right? And I think that's the biggest challenge that we have as 21st century Americans to understand what the Bible is, how the Bible works together, what it means for me today, and then how do I walk this out on a day-in, day-out basis. Right? And so if you guys have dug into Deuteronomy 18 this week, what I want us to see today, ultimately my goal, is that we see how Deuteronomy 18 connects with the entirety of the Bible. 
right? This is what we call narrative theology, right? A biblical theology, where we look at the entirety of Scripture and we say, how does this fit now with connected to everything else? Um, so, have any of you guys read the Jesus Storybook Bible? Do you guys have it? Have you done it with... Okay, you have it. So what do you like, E, about the Jesus Storybook Bible? What it's, how does every story end in the Jesus Storybook Bible? So when it talks about David and Goliath, right? When it ends the David and Goliath story, do you remember what it talks about? Zay, do you remember? No, I haven't read that, that book in a couple of years. Okay, right. He's the rescuer, right? So it brings the story of David and Goliath full circle to the entirety of the Bible. So before we get into this morning, I want you guys to just take a look at this three-minute video by Tim Keller to kind of frame out our mindset as we start to walk into it. Is the sound on? Not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story Every character point Is it because my microphone's on? It worked when we tried points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about only receive the wounds of grace. There's a button on the TV. Maybe you guys will not, in fact, watch this video. All right, now let's take a look at this video for a second. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac, the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. 
There is a true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. We're going to dive into Deuteronomy 18. Let's go ahead and read the first eight verses together. The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. And this shall be the priests due from the people. From those offerings, a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. And if a Levite comes from any of your towns out of all Israel where he lives, and he may come when he desires to the place that the Lord will choose and ministers in the name of the Lord his God, like all his fellow Levites who stand to minister there before the Lord. Then he may have equal portions to eat besides what he receives from the sale of his patrimony. All right, so as we remember back to last week, Deuteronomy 17 ended looking at the option that Israel had for a king, right? It was not required of Israel, but he gave them the ability to say, if you desire a king, this is what said king should look like, right? And now in Deuteronomy 18, we look at specifically the spiritual reality of the people of Israel. Now, this is no longer optional, like a king was optional. This is required, right? So we see, uh, here you go. So we see that the tribe of Levi, specifically going back to Aaron, was set apart specifically for the spiritual health of the people of Israel, right? Like functionally, the priests oversaw the sacrificial system, which we see here, right? And all things related to the temple. Functionally, the priest ushered Israel into the presence of God, right? They were set apart specifically to be Yahweh's messengers to Israel. So the Expositor's Bible commentary, let me see if I pull this up right, says, in fact, talking of the priests, they were the mediators between Yahweh and Israel. Yahweh was king, but he was invisible, and the priests were his visible earthly representatives. So the priestly job, the role of the uh, Levitical priests came with some different aspects than the rest of the nation of Israel, and you guys saw it right there. Um, but number one being their survival was dictated 
entirely by the offerings of the people, right? So the Levitical priests, all the tribes of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance, right? So their provision specifically was set up so that the people of Israel would provide for the needs of the priests so that their one focal point was the mediation between Yahweh and his people, right? That is the only thing they were worried about. Where everybody else in Israel is worried about caring for crops, caring for livestock, caring for family, the Levitical priests are specifically set aside for this one purpose, right? And now all the offerings that are coming from Israel are providing the sustenance, the survival for this certain subset of people, right? So it says their inheritance is the Lord, and that's a promise. Their hearts, minds, passions, convictions, and work was solely focused on mediating between God and the people and ushering people into the presence of God. So as we look specifically at what they received, we see that their provision is the best of the best. So I was reading through some different commentaries on that. And as you look at specifically what the priests received from the animal, the pieces of the animal that was given to them for eating was, was a delicacy in Israel, right? So they received the best of the best, and those things from those sacrifices were set apart specifically for them. And so I think we have this idea, right, going back to context as 21st century Americans looking at the Bible, we have this idea that sacrifices were animals that were being killed and then burned or whatever and not used, Right? But as we see pretty clearly here in Deuteronomy 18, that the reality is those sacrifices were used for the sustenance of the priests, but also celebrated. Right? And I think when we get this idea that the sacrifices that were slain, right, the animals that were slain, were, were, um, were weeped over for the sin of the people, right? as the priests slayed the animals, slaughtered the animals, it was that we were seeing the reality of, of sin and what that meant for Israel. And then we were seeing the reality directly after of the goodness of Yahweh, right? So it was, it was penance followed by celebration, right? And so as we uh, look at the solemn act, we see as well the rejoicing in the, the goodness of, of God and the goodness of Yahweh and his provision for Israel. So we have that context now as we're looking at priests, right? But as we go back to the beginning of what we were talking about with the scarlet thread or narrative theology, right? This priestly role transcends scripture. So um, what do you guys off the top of your heads, what stands out to you as you think about priestly roles or priest context coming out of the New Testament. Do any passages or areas of Scripture stand out to you? If not, that's okay. No, that's uh, one more. Boom. All right. So this idea of priesthood that was relegated to the Levites in the Old Testament has now expanded as we get to the New Testament, right? 1 Peter 2, 4-5 to tells us as believers... As you come to him, talking of Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then it goes on again, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So in Deuteronomy, we see the priesthood was reserved for the Levites. Now as we look at the narrative of Scripture, the priesthood includes all of those who are believers in Christ. So what what does that mean for us today? One, is you are called to usher people into the presence of God. That is your calling as believers in Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy, Yahweh's presence existed in a specific location, and now through Christ, his presence is made available to all who put their faith in Christ, right? And we see that reality take shape in the tearing of of the veil in the temple, right? We see that that access to God is now not only reserved for the Holy of Holies, as the priests in Deuteronomy were leading people into, right? It's, It's for all of us. So as followers of Jesus, we're called to usher people into that presence through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as the, as the discipleship of those who are in Christ to be sent out and make more disciples. So I love the way, and this connected with me, not that it uses the term priesthood, but the way that this idea of the priesthood of all believers is articulated in 2 Corinthians. Um, so once again, Lisa, I'll come back to you uh, because you've lived in other countries. What was the role of an ambassador? Yeah, like what's the role of the U.S. ambassador to Costa Rica? To, to represent the U.S., right? So as for you as an American, at least I experienced this, right, living internationally, is that people looked at me as they had questions, is, is this how Americans think about something? They'd look to you and say, hey, do all Americans think like this? And I'm like, eh, there's 328 million people in the United States. Probably not, but this is how I think, right? But we start to speak on behalf of a nation just because that's what we come from, right? And so an ambassador, the ambassador to the Dominican Republic represents the nation that's sending him out, right? And so as we get this idea of the priesthood of all believers and our role as followers of Jesus, it brought me to 2 Corinthians 5, which says, and you guys have most likely heard this passage, but all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Right? So this idea as as priests is that we are now the sent ones, where the, the Levites were ushering the presence of God mediating the presence of God and the people right now, we are the ones that are entrusted with that message of reconciliation. We speak on behalf of a kingdom so that other people are ushered into that kingdom with us. And I think so often as we look at the Bible, we do not see the missional thrust of the Old Testament like we do in the New Testament. And I think we're going to get to that in a second, so I won't expand on that right now. But second... As a priest, right, as we are priests, our survival depends on him, right? Our survival depends solely on him. And I think for for 21st century Americans, we have a really hard time with this reality, right? We, We feel that we provide for ourselves, 
We feel that our jobs provide for ourselves. We feel that our education provides for ourselves. And this provision, whereas in, in, Levit- in Deuteronomy for the Levites, right, this provision was in the sacrifices and, and literally in the sustenance of the body as they were eating, right? This provision that we get as we move into the New Testament is the reality that, that this provision is holistic, right? That God is providing for our needs, not just economically, financially, right, but also all of our needs for, as, as we'll see here, for life and godliness, right? We are called throughout the New Testament to not worry, to not be anxious, right? To know that our survival and sustenance comes through him. While the Levitical priests were forced into this reality, we are forced to accept and submit to this reality, right? We have the option to not submit to this truth, but as we go through the New Testament, it's pretty starkly clear to us. So let's go here. Boom. This might be messing this up. Uh, Nope. All right. Sorry. That one passage didn't, so I'll just read it to you guys. Boom. So 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He is our inheritance just as he was the inheritance of, for the Levites, he's our inheritance as well. And so as we look to where we think our provision comes from, we have to come to the point of realizing everything that we have and everything that we don't have, whether in life or death, all of it comes from God. It's not our own. We can't take it with us. Just as the Levites had no inheritance outside of the Lord, for us as New Testament believers, we have to come to the understanding that we have no inheritance outside of the Lord. Nothing is ours, nothing will ever be ours, everything is his. So let's move on here, back into chapter 18. As chapter 18 continues, it says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless. Oh, sorry, I need to continue these on. Doop. Uh, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. You shall be, uh, for these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and div- diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So, uh, any random guesses? Why do you think that this comes directly on the heels of the call to the priesthood or the talking about the late Levites and Levitical priests? Why do you think he then goes directly into the abomination, the abominable practices of the nations? Any thoughts? How does this flow together? Abe, you look like you're thinking, brother. So the priests, right, are ushering the people into the presence of God, and they're also protecting the orthodoxy, right? The priests are called to protect the orthodoxy, the correct worship of Yahweh. Everything we've been getting up to this point through all of Deuteronomy is God putting on display how he should be worshiped, right? Through, through deed and action, how we should be worshiping God in the correct way compared to all the other forms of worship 
that we see out there, right? And the Levites are ushering the people of God to see that Yahweh should be worshiped in a specific manner. And so as we get into this New Testament, Old Testament thread, right, we see this same reality true in the New Testament, in Acts. What were the people in Acts called to do? Fellowship, break bread, right, and submit to the apostles' teaching. We see through the early church, we see that elders are raised up and put over the health of the church, right? To keep the church in line with orthodoxy, to not be given over to a false gospel, as Paul tells us, a gospel that's anything other than what he taught, right? Those elders, just like these Levitical priests in the Old Testament and the New Testament, are set to protect the orthodoxy of the worship of God. And so we see this ring through all the way to now, right? As we submit to the teaching and, and the, the theology that's espoused, I don't know if that would be the right way to say it, but at our local churches, are the job of our vocational ministers, the job of our pastors, the jobs of our elders are to lead us to not stray to all the things that the nations have for us to offer. We're not facing the same things that Israel was facing in the ancient Near East, right? We're not facing... I mean, probably not, necromancers and, and all these different kinds of abominable practices that are at play, but we're facing a, a, an, an abominable practice that's just as dangerous in the straying from the truth of the gospel, right? That's day in, day out. Every reality that we see around us is pulling at our hearts, right? And our pastors are here, our elders are here to, to keep our hearts in line as they shepherd us to following Jesus and not straying to everything else, not running to the God of money, not running to the God of provision, not running to the God of X, Y, and Z, but running to the God of the, of the Bible, right? Running to Christ and the truth of the gospel that says you're sinful, you're broken, and somebody had to die for you. The world will tell you, follow your heart, and the gospel tells you not to do it, right? That's what our pastors are here for. That's where the Levitical priests were protecting that orthodoxy for Israel, and so finally, as we kind of wrap up, let's get to the end of, whoop, 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 whoop. I missed, let's get to the end of chapter 18. Let me see if I'm hitting the right slide here. All right. The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, the same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if, when a prophet speaks in the name of the word, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Sorry, guys. I am really bad at changing these slides at the same point. But, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. You guys have Bibles in front of you. All right. So, as we look at this, I think fairly clearly here, 
we can start to somewhat see the reality of the scarlet thread through Scripture coming together, right? That we have the benefit now of context as 21st century Americans to look back on this passage that the Israelites are reading in Deuteronomy 18 and see how this played out all the way through the Old Testament, right? This, this passage is not specifically speaking to Christ. It, it can be speaking about Christ, and I think that's the fulfillment of this passage. But this passage is also speaking to the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and the Hoseas and the Elijahs and Elishas, Ezekiels, Michael, Samuel, Samuels, Nathans, John the Baptist, and more of these people that were prophets set out by God to protect Israel. And we get the benefit of now looking back at Deuteronomy 18 and saying, it is crazy how God fulfilled his promises. It's crazy how God fulfilled his promises in protecting Israel through the priests, away from all the nations that are around them, through these people that he raised up time and time again, and they rejected time and time again to ultimately lead us to the reason that we're sitting here right now. Because if it wasn't for this coming true, we're not here, right? If it wasn't for these men that are raised up protecting Israel, now God's going to accomplish his purposes, but we're not here. The Bible is a story, and it's a, it's a whole story that works to bring us to see the beauty of the gospel, right? That's it. It's bringing us to see the beauty of the gospel. And as we finish off chapter 18 here in Deuteronomy, we see that these prophets right, that were raised up are ultimately fulfilled in the prophet, right? The one who, who sat in the role of king, right, who sat in the role of priest, who sat in the role of prophet, who fulfilled everything that we were waiting for, that now these sacrifices are not having to be made because they've already been made once and for all, right? That's the beauty of the gospel that we now get to sit in as we come to passages here in Deuteronomy 18 and we think, what in the world does this mean for me living in Clearwater, Florida in 2021? One, I can remember that he's already won the battle. He's already sat in all the roles that were laid out for Israel. And now he's equipped me with everything I need for life and godliness to then walk out the reality of being an ambassador to usher in a coming kingdom that's not here yet, but is coming, right? That's the job that we get. And, this, and as we walk out of here today, I hope the one thing that you leave with is an encouragement to follow Jesus and make disciples, right? That's it, because that's what you're called into, right? And this is what we have now as a priesthood of believers, that as we walk the streets of Clearwater, as we go to our jobs, as we do X, Y, and Z, we have been called and equipped by God to help usher people into his presence, because the gospel has been made available for all of us. And that's the beauty of the curtain being torn, the beauty that our provision is through him, the beauty that he's already sitting on the throne, the beauty that he came and died, that now I get to sit in it and I get to walk this out day in and day out. So this week, I, I just want to encourage you guys to look for opportunities to be ambassadors, to look for opportunities to speak as representatives of a kingdom that's not your own because you've been sent by the king of it. That's the opportunity we have that's a privilege that's been given to us. And I think we're doing a major disservice by not walking that out on a day-in, day-out basis. Um, so that's my encouragement for you guys this morning as we walk through Deuteronomy 18. So let's pray. God, um, thanks for calling the Levites um, to usher people into your presence as well as protect the orthodoxy of your worship. Um, thanks for uh, not 
allowing Israel to be swayed by the practices of the nations around them, but ultimately drawing the nations to see you as the one true God. Uh, I pray for us as we walk out this weekend, there's so many things pulling at us. There's so many things around us and so many false gospels and um, false ideas that are, that are at play in the world and they draw our hearts. Um, I pray that we walk by the Spirit and we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. I pray that we um, dive deeply into the truth of the gospel, what it means for us, the truth of your life, death, and resurrection that, that fixes my sin problem. God, as we, as we look at the laws, we walk through Deuteronomy 18 and we walk through the rest of Deuteronomy, we see that the law made us aware of our sin but didn't fix our sin problem. Thanks for sending Jesus that took that sin problem, nailed it to a cross so that we can have life and have life abundantly now and eternally with you. Thanks for Jesus. Thanks for Deuteronomy. In his name we pray. Amen.